of Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, we'll, we're going to jump back into that today. They are originally were one book, but now they're divided into two in our, in our, uh, in our Bible. But we're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah. I'll just quickly review the backstory if you weren't here with us last week. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, are, they take place uh, at a major crisis moment that um, the people, the nation of Israel is under attack by Babylon. So in 605 B.C., Judah, Jerusalem, God's people are, are surrounded by Babylon, and they're subjugated, and Babylon takes over, and people are exiled, and they become servants, and they have to send taxes. And so it, it seems that everything's crashing down. You're supposed to be this place of God and people of God and have the blessing of God, and because of rebellion and failure, you are now conquered. And then during this time of subjugation, they rebelled, they didn't pay taxes, they didn't do what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. So finally, in 587 B.C., he says, enough is enough. He surrounds Jerusalem and brings in his armies, destroys what's left, burns the temple, tears everything down. Anyone left that's not killed is taken into exile, and it's total devastation. And so that's where I want us to kind of lean in today. I, I just have no concept of earthly exile, right? I've never been forced to flee even an apartment, right? I mean, I, I always paid my bill and tried to clean it. I, I have no concept of fleeing. Some of you have. Maybe some of you have had exile from your family. Some of you maybe literally. Maybe some of you, wherever you're from, maybe there was exile in your country where you're forced to leave, forced to flee. You're not home. You're not safe. What you thought was working isn't working. So I, I don't have that, but I've come across a resource that I think will, will give us a sense that we all live in a state of exile right now. And so this book, it's called Faith for Exiles by David Kinneman and Mark Matlock. David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Research Group. So they have been doing Christian-based research for many years, and it's top-notch stuff. In fact, David Kinneman was in Bellingham, oh, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago or so, uh, and presented some material from this over at Cornwall Church. A few of us from here were there, a number of leaders. But uh, So I just want to kind of walk through this idea that he talks about right now, we are in a different kind of exile and in a different kind of Babylon that I think we're going to relate to more than conquering armies and fleeing. So this is what he, he's going to describe something called um, digital Babylon. I'll follow this along. So he's going to compare ancient Babylon to today. So I've got some quotes, and let's just kind of enter into this thought. He said, ancient Babylon was the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that became the unwilling home of Judean exiles. Okay, that's what they had to deal with. And then he says, digital Babylon. That's what he's describing our time is. We're in a digital Babylon. Digital Babylon is the pagan but spiritual. Everybody in your life say, I'm just spiritual. You hear that phrase? Yeah. Hyper-stimulated, right? Go, 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 go. Multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with Wi-Fi, data plan, or for most of us, both. Okay, so we're in what he's going to call a digital Babylon. Right, that things are multicultural, moving fast, not focused on the one true God. 
And so there's a challenge there to have been people in Jerusalem taken to Babylon. So this is a chart they make. I know the font's a little small on that. I just stole their slides. Technically, Pastor Mark stole their slides. <laughs> I just put them in there. Okay, anyway, sorry. We, we paid a fee. We paid a fee. So uh, anyways, we live, he calls it, in a complicated, accelerated culture. So Jerusalem has faith at the center, monotheistic, right? Worship one God. It's a slower pace. The idol of Jerusalem is be a false piety. Look at us. Look how great we are. Look, look, we're righteous. And there's a simple life. God's in control. We worship him. Babylon, a digital Babylon, has faith at the margins, right? Believe something, believe nothing. Pluralistic, any idea goes. Accelerated and frenetic. Uh, And that might just be your drive to church today. You were accelerated and frenetic. But life is going, 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 going. Input, input, input. Right? The idol is fitting in and being up to speed. Right? You don't want to make waves. You don't want to stick out. Don't want to miss out. Right? It's got to be connected to everything. And there's a bittersweet tension. There's something amazing about all that digital information can bring us. Helpful. Right? Important. Right? Even this morning, we're downstairs. We're making orange juice, and we had to make it into gallons, and we had things. And so Caleb Googles, well, how much ounces is this? And pretty soon, boom, we've made your orange juice, right? Isn't that helpful? It's helpful. Some of you are like, well, I just kind of pour the can and the water in, but we used Google. So anyways, there's something, there's something sweet about that. There's something helpful about that. There's something good about our access, but there's also something bitter about it and difficult about it because they become addictive and they have an algorithm that sends you everything you want to see and more. Isn't it just disturbing? You're like, yeah, I'm thinking about going fishing. You open your phone, you know, here's the sale on top lures. Like, they're listening. So, so that's some comparisons. So here we go. The Babylon of the Bible is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God. So there's, it says a human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. Does that sound familiar? Babylon makes appearances throughout the Bible, most notably and literally in the story of Daniel, also in our story. But Babylon is there in the pages of Scripture from beginning to end, from the Tower of Babel, the first city of man in the book of Genesis, to the final act of God's justice and restoration in Revelation. You'll see a Babylon described in Revelation. Babylon is both a place and an archetype of collective human pursuits set in opposition to God. So that's, that's what Babylon is, was literally a place, but it's also representative of this. So here's how it works. In, in Babylon, they colonized you. They took over. They exported you from your home and you were under them. We're under digital Babylon with digital colonization, right? Colonization is someone else is controlling you. So this digital colonization is that screens inform and connect, but they also distract and entertain. Through screens, ubiquitous presence, Babylon's pride, power, prestige, and pleasure colonize our hearts and minds. And this one really stopped me. He says, screens demand our attention and screens disciple, meaning make someone follow and become like their master. That, that when he presented, that really just stopped my heart. Like, oh, no, 
Screens disciple. We want to make disciples of Jesus. Screens disciple. So I don't know if you'll see the text, but the picture on this graph says it all. So if you look at the big box, he's kind of showing the weight of spiritual input versus digital Babylon input. The little orange box is the typical 15 to 23-year-old spiritual content consumption. It's 153 hours in a year. Just by contrast, there's 8,760 hours in a year. All right, I need a math person to tell me what percentage of the year is 153. Go when you got it. Shout it out to me. Okay, the typical 15 to 23-year-old churchgoer. So that's you all here, kids. You spend 291 hours with spiritual content. It's not very much. My math people there yet? You could use Google. Okay, so... Um, but then using screen media, the typical 15 to 23 year old uses 2,767 hours of screen media. If there's 8,700 a year, that's like, that's like 25%. What was it? A quarter of a percent or this one? 25% of your hours that you have in a year are on a screen. Probably at least another 25% you're asleep, right? So, there, I mean, just think of the percentage of your waking life uh, is on a screen. And screens disciple. Screens take you there. And this is why it's bittersweet, because they can be super helpful. Like, I was reading my Bible app, thank you very much, right? And then the thing dings, and then you click the other thing, and then the funny video, and then the cat in the dryer, and there's two hours. Like, where, where am I? Like, oh, wait. So that's... That's heavy, isn't it? So we start thinking about, uh, I haven't been hauled off to actual Babylon, but if you live in digital Babylon, it's colonized. It's pressing in around you. The weight of information is around you. So their whole thing is that this book is very hopeful. So I'll just tell you this, parents, I recommend getting it because what they're trying to do is not lament. They've found that there are... um, Oh, I just lost the word. It'll come up in my quotes. I'm going to blame COVID for that. So uh, resilient, resilient disciples means they're going to make it through. Resilient disciples, and they're finding them among teenagers, and they have uh, found five common factors. So I'm not going to go through all that today, but I do recommend the book that there are uh, there's resilient disciples among our 15 to 23-year-olds and that are surviving, and there's practices and things they do. So um, I recommend that. But I just wanted us to think about this. So here's what they're talking about, having faith for exiles, that we're going to live in digital Babylon, and what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus? It says, cultivating faith for exiles means, by contrast, that we, young and old alike, trust that Jesus is Lord, even in chaotic, pixelated, no-rules digital Babylon. That's what we're trying to do. We don't really have a choice. You can't stand up and say, let's just turn off the internet, right? Be like, you can go live in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, if you want to do that. We're not turning, like, that's not even an option. So how do we keep our faith now? So that's what they're talking about, faith for exiles. So they, we propose that the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful. I'm just going to keep coming. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to give up in the face of cultural coercion, and who live a vibrant life in the Spirit. Right? That's what they're saying. Hey, it can happen. 
right? And just like the, the people of God were exiled from literal Jerusalem to literal Babylon, there was many who said, we're going to keep worshiping Yahweh, we're going to keep worshiping God, we're going to keep our faith, even though anything goes and nobody cares, we're going to stay faithful in the middle of exile and hostility. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to do today and in our going forward in digital Babylon. We're exiled there. You didn't have a choice. You didn't ask for it. You didn't create it. But we want to be resilient disciples. And so that's one of the reasons I've picked Ezra Nehemiah, because it shows the people of God moving in an actual exile that I think we can identify with. And there's some hopeful things that we're going to learn from that and from them. So today... Our point here, I want to see, is that if we're a people going to be faithful in digital Babylon, resilient disciples, we need to respond, God is still moving in exile. Because sometimes it feels like he's not, right? He just turned, we talked about that last week. It's just the news, it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, just the next thing, the next tragedy, the next crazy thing is going on. And they're going, where are you, God? And I'm, th- I'm going to say and believe with all my heart that God is still moving and he's asking us to respond just like he was asking them to respond way back in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah. So let's jump in. Just a quick review where this book started. They're in exile in about 537 B.C. So it was a 70-year exile. I think they count from the first year that Nebuchadnezzar came, so like 605. So they, they don't count when the Jerusalem was destroyed. So it's about a 70-year period when they're under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And the thing that happened was God, the, the, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, so they're now in charge. And it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so they made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, that thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So we looked at that last week, that God moved the hand of the most powerful man in the world, send back my people, rebuild the temple. Whoever among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go. Right? Anybody who wants to go, can go back to Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay, so that was his proclamation. So if, you want, if you're in the book of Ezra, open to Ezra, it's right after 2 Chronicles. That's where it is if you're looking. So we're going to skip most of chapter 2 because it's a whole bunch of names, right? So now these were the people of the province who came out from the captivity, and it just starts to list them in chapter 2. So they returned to Jerusalem, each to his own town, and they came with, I'll give you the leaders, Zerubbabel, He's kind of the governor. Yeshua, Joshua. That name might be familiar. That's the name Jesus' name. So Zerubbabel's coming back. Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, and then I'm not going to read any more names. So if you want to read them, you can. But it just goes through. These are actual people recorded in history. It said, we're going to leave Babylon. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going to leave Persia. And so we want to be in the group that says, we're in digital Babylon, but we're going to be faithful to God. He's on the move. He sent his people back to build the temple. He's sending us to follow and build his kingdom. So here we go. Respond. God is still moving in exile. I've got six responses that we can make to what God's doing in our digital Babylon. Just the same responses that they had to do when they left Babylon. They leave and they go back to rebuild the temple. There's six responses that we're going to see that we can make right now living in digital Babylon. 
So the first response is to respond in generosity. You think, well, that's not what I thought was coming. So if you go to chapter 2, or 3, no, sorry, chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2, after all the names, name, 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 go all the way down to verse 68. Okay, so they've come back, and they show up in chapter 2, verse 68. It says, some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, they made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave the work and it lists all this gold and silver. So they walk back. They kind of there's a part that says they kind of settled in their towns and they come to the Temple Mount and they're going to rebuild it. And I have no idea what they saw, but this is what I'm guessing they saw. I get overwhelmed by that kind of stuff. Like when it's something's really messy, I just get overwhelmed. If I'm heading out to the garage and it's a disaster, I can just be I can be paralyzed for a moment with the phrase, I don't know where to start. You ever get there? Like, it's just such a big problem. I have no idea where to start. I don't know what to do. I mean, they come, the place was thrown down and then burned. And I don't know what burning does to stone, but I'm sure it charred it. But a lot of the temple structure is made of cedar beams, so burned all that out. So it's just smashed. I mean, yeah, I don't know, a bunch of 18-year-old Roman soldiers, they're like, tear that apart, or not Roman, Babylonian soldiers, tear that apart. Any of you kids would be in on that? Like, ooh, I want to be on the demo team. Right? The place is just in ruins. And they walk in there, and I would be totally overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. What are we going to do with all this rubble? I don't even think the wheelbarrow was invented yet. I don't know. Um, Google that, somebody. Um, and the, where do you start? And so they walk in there, and the first thing, they go there, the leaders, and they say, you know, let's give some money to get this going. That's what they did. They responded in generosity. Because God's got a call for us. It looks like absolute ruins, and I could be overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. They said, let's start with getting some money in here because we got some work to do, and we got to get some materials, and we got to get some people. Be totally overwhelmed. Had the privilege last night to go to the Lighthouse Missions fundraiser gala. I don't know if you drive around this town, but does it feel like the crisis of homelessness is a bit overwhelming? I mean, I've just never seen any of this many tents and structures. It feels overwhelming. It just does. And this was a fundraiser, and I was amazed that that night, last night, they raised $180,000 that night for the Lighthouse Mission because they're saying, yeah, it's overwhelming, and we are willing to go a person at a time. They kind of emphasize that. We're just going to meet people where they're at. That We're going out to them. We're bringing them coffee. We'll bring them a donut. We're inviting them in. We're offering them. And it seems like a totally overwhelming thing to solve one person's crisis, let alone, I don't know what the latest count is. I think it's around 800 in, in Bellingham. It's overwhelming. But, they, but people said, you know, we'll, we'll give some money and we're going to believe God is working, and we're going to be generous to the things of God. So this is not a trick to say, write a bunch of checks to the church, but it's a sense of, we believe what God is doing, we believe he's working, even when it's a disaster, and so we're going to be committed to giving. So I just want to encourage us in Digital Babylon that we remain generous, generous to people you know and need, generous to ministries that are going for it. You know, that's why I just love supporting um, the Timothy Initiative. Like, we're just going to spread the gospel as fast and as far as we can. Right, some of you might want to just look up Resonate Church at Western. They're reaching Western's campus tonight, right? Just say, I'm going to throw some money into that. 
It looks like a disaster. We're in digital Babylon. Hey, I'm putting my money in because we believe God's not done, right? God's not done. So we're not going to, you know, hole up and say, well, live for me. We're going to be generous. And that's what they did in the pile of ruin. So that's the first response, respond in generosity. Number two, respond in obedience in the face of fear. Respond in obedience in the face of fear. I found this very interesting. It's a little line here. So if you look to chapter 3 now, chapter 3 says, when the, when the seventh month came, in verse 1, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So I think they get back, they kind of settled into where they you know, found their house, the new guy living in there, they booted him. You know, I don't know what happened. And so they're all back, and it says, then... Uh, then arose Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. Let me keep this going here. And, uh, and they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place. Now look at that line. For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. I thought that was interesting. So, right, they've been exiled. They've been gone for over 50 years or more. And people have moved in, right? Some of it the Babylonians actually did on purpose. Like, we're going to take you and put you over there. And you, and it says the poorest of the poor got to have what's left and they hauled away. So they come back, and not everyone's real happy about it. Like, you know, we've kind of liked you not being here. I don't want to give you back that field. I don't really care if you rebuild this temple. I've got my own plan. And so they're kind of afraid, right? They set the altar, and they were afraid of the people around them. Like, is this going to go very well? But I was trying to think, what would we liken the altar to? And uh, the altar had daily sacrifices, but I think... The biggest part of it for us to take is that they obeyed God in doing it. They show up, the first thing, right, they don't start measuring a bunch of stuff, they don't start getting the excavation crew in, they say, let's build the altar and start worshiping God, even though we're freaked out. And to me, it was a sign of obeying God, because that's what they had stopped doing years before. They stopped worshiping God, they stopped following His commands, and they started to worship all the idols of the nations, and that's what got them off track. So here they are. I bet there was some pressure, these other people groups there, there to say, well, if you're going to build that altar, I want my Zeus altar and my whatever, my Molech altar, and let's just mix it all in. And they're like, no, no, this time we're not doing that. We're going to obey God, even though we're afraid. And I was thinking, of particularly for you students here, it's, going to be, it's really challenging to obey God in the public square. I don't mean get in people's face. But I mean, say, I'm going to faithfully obey God. God told them to have this system of sacrifice. And so they set it up and got that running before they did anything else. We're going to obey you. These sacrifices allowed them to be purified and appear for worship and offer things for forgiveness. There's a whole lot of reasons. But to me, it came down that they were going to obey God and do it, even though people around them weren't happy about it. And I think that's our challenge, that we want to obey God, even though it's really hard right now. It's really hard to want to be different. It's really hard when people are pressured. You believe that Jesus thing, and that's so exclusive, and like, yeah, I'm just going to follow him, even when I'm afraid. And there's a real promise with it. 
In Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's what got him into trouble. That's what gets us into trouble. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, not if, right? Did you catch that? When a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So there's a promise. It's not like God's saying, obey me, do what I'm calling you to do, and it's going to be horrible. He's saying it's going to allow you to survive the storm. The storm's going to come. The challenges are going to come. People aren't going to like it necessarily, but he's saying, obey my word because that's the strong foundation. And so I think our second response in digital Babylon and a changing culture is that we're just going to respond and obey God. We're going to obey his word. We're going to obey everything he instructs us to do, even when we're afraid, even when it's unwelcome. So that's our second response in digital Babylon. Third one, I'm going to have to pick up the pace here. Mom's got some brunch waiting. Let's go. Okay, respond remembering what God has done. That's number three. Remember what God has done. It says, and they kept the Feast of Booths. So the first thing they do is they build the altar. Second thing they do, they keep the Feast of Booths as it is written. You're going, what is the Feast of Booths? This is not the fair. This is not where you go booth one, pop the balloon, you know, booth two, throw the coin. It's like the Feast of Tents or Shelters. So they had this feast. I might skip the... What was it about? God put into the life of Israel feasts, or we might call them a holiday or a celebration to remind you of things. So I'll show you two reminders real quick. In Leviticus, he said, do dwell in booths for seven days. Everybody's going to do it. Everybody's going to do it. Why? That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. It was to remember, this people group's story was we were slaves, God rescued us, we camped in the desert, but he provided for us. Remember what he did when it was hard. So that was one of their, remember how God rescued you. The second one is in Deuteronomy. He says, you shall keep the Feast of Booths. I'm going to skip, you know, everything, because it's a fall feast. When you have gathered in the produce, it's a fall feast. So the harvest has come in, it's October. It says, you shall rejoice in your feasts. All the people, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, sojourner, everybody who's there is going to do this. For seven days you shall keep the feast, one more skip, because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands. So the Feast of Booths had two rememberings. Remember that we were in tents and now we're in houses and God provided for us and it is God who brings in our food and our resources. So the first thing they do, they build the altar. Next thing, well, they gave money, built the altar, had a feast. So one of the things we want to remember what God has done, when it's all broken and it's all messed up and the culture's not right, remember. We do it monthly as a church. We remember the cross at communion. Jesus died for you. That third verse of the hymn we sang today, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross. Just go back there. I like the first one. It says, remember that you were intense. You lived, you didn't have a house. So for you, maybe there's a time you're saying, this is where I was. My life was a mess. It was a disaster. This was broken. And God has provided for me. 
When you go to the grocery store, even right now, it's costing a lot more at Winco than it did a month ago. I'm still thankful for the produce of Winco, right? I'm able to buy it. I'm able to feed my family. God's taking care of me. When we're in digital Babylon, don't forget what he's done. And we need rhythms to do it. We just had Easter, right? We don't celebrate the Feast of Booths. We do take the youth camping, but um, we just celebrated Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. We just remind ourselves over and over. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. So remember what he's done. Number four, respond doing the mission, right? He sent them there for a purpose. He sent them there. So from in Ezra 3.6, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid, right? You haven't started any work yet. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, and they bring cedar trees from Lebanon. Let's get the supplies in here. And they had some money from the king of Persia. And so they made a beginning, right? Now in the second year after they're coming to the house of God, so it's a whole year, <laughs> in the second month, took that long, you thought we had supply chain issues. Whew. Okay, here they go. Uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they made a beginning. Let's get started. Let's get to work together. And they go on and it describes. They start to actually do it. They began to supervise the work of the Lord, and they began to do it. So they got going on it. I'm skipping some things. But they had a mission to go rebuild the temple. That's not our mission. We have a mission to go make disciples, right? They're not free. They are still under Persian rule. It's not like every, they're not a free nation. They're still under him. They still got to pay taxes. It's not quite right. But he said, go back there, build the temple, the place of prayer for all nations. We're in digital Babylon. Things aren't right. We still have a mission. Let's get it done. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we need to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. We want to respond to God in digital Babylon. He's still on the move. We want to do the mission. We want to be praying for people. Sharing your faith with people. Showing them how to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do. That's what we want to do as a church. That's our mission. doesn't matter if Persia's on the throne. doesn't matter if Google's on the throne. doesn't matter what craziness is going on. We're going to do the mission. Here's what they said. In Digital Babylon, this is from the book, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time. I like that. He was contrasting that with you know, in previous generations, the mass tent outreach meeting had some effectiveness. Probably not as effective today. Could be parts of the world, but the idea of one life on another, I'm loving you, I'm welcoming you, I'm investing in you, I'm sharing my faith with you, people, that's probably way more effective in digital Babylon than the mass event. The mass event's going to draw <laughs> protests and criticism, you over coffee, you can really love somebody. So one life at a time. Okay, here we go. I got two more. I know the pancakes are settling in. We did miscalculate feeding everyone a huge breakfast and then now listen to you preach. Okay, number five. Respond in thankful praise. So it says, when the builders, I'm in 3 verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise 
the Lord. The thing's not even done, right? We got some foundation down. We got some bricks in order. And they, let's start praising God. It says, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. I think we want to praise every baby step, right? They just had the foundation, right? If you come up to a job site and the foundation's just laid, you're like, I don't see anything here, right? It's the framers that get all the excitement. Like, look, they put up these walls. Like, hey, I did a lot of work in that dirt, right? But it, it might look like nothing. Like, I'm, re- I'm thankful today that we had brothers working together in the kitchen. We couldn't do that for two years. So just that, hey, we work together today. Let's praise the Lord. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. You've been reaching out to somebody, reaching out to somebody, and they finally return your text. His love endures forever. I'm going to keep going. Every baby step, let's just praise and worship God because he loves us and he's in control. And it doesn't matter how bad digital Babylon gets, he's going to bring a new kingdom. And if you're in Jesus, you're going to be there and just praise him all the time. It keeps you out of the mess, right? Because if you start looking around... You can make a pretty long list of everything that's messed up and everything that's broken and everything that doesn't work right and everything that you hate and everything that's ruining everything. And boy, it's gonna, it doesn't hurt anybody else. It just hurts you. You will be down and you will be blue and you will be angry and you'll be short with your kids and you'll be grumpy to your employees and on and on. But when you're praising God for what he's doing, it just lifts you and you're joyful. And people want to know what's going on with you. So we want to always respond to God in thankful praise. All right, this last one to me is very striking. Respond even in disappointment. Now watch what happens here. They've laid the temple. They're out there. They laid the foundation. It's all they've done. It says in verse 11, And the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who'd seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. It took me a while to... I really wrestled with this. Are they weeping because they never thought they'd see the day? Or are they weeping because, well, this isn't any good. The other one was way better. And I think the link there when they say, we saw the old one, and this isn't any good. And these aren't the big, awesome stones that Solomon had. These are just puny. You dug that out of the creek over there, Jonabab. What's going on? You know, like, this isn't as good. And so they're there. The ones who saw it before are crying. Like, this isn't, we're still under... Cyrus, he didn't give us enough in the, you know, in the rebuild stimulus plan. And he... So here's, to me, I think this is very timely. This is in their book. The tension of displacement felt by many. Now catch this. We have some disappointment right now. Especially, but not only white Christians, is this. At a formative time in their lives, they experienced a culture that was more Jerusalem-like. Monotheistic Judeo-Christian faith was at the center, and it dominated a fairly homogenized white middle-class values and morals that unashamedly claimed to rely on the Bible for authority. Any of you feeling that? 
The, the America you grew up in had a Judeo-Christian basic respect for the values and the Bible and, and things were different, right? You remember those days, just like the old men who came back. Remember, I remember the old temple and this new temple. This is nothing. It used to be big. It used to be glorious. People would come travel to see this thing, and now it's just a bunch of rocks stacked on top of each other. Right? So, I, mean, I remember this country. We used to respect the Bible, and we used to care about prayer, and it's a mess. In digital Babylon, on the other hand, the Bible is one of the many voices that interpret human experience. It is no longer viewed as the central authority over people and society. Today, if someone unironically drops, the Bible says, in a media interview, they sound as if they've just disembarked from a time machine. Some, it's so disappointing. That's probably not even a strong enough word. It's infuriating. It's disgusting. I don't know. I, you just say the, the world and the way you knew our country is very different. And when we have little wins and little things we're celebrating, look at this, you're like, ah, it's just it's hard to celebrate what God's doing now because you're so disappointed because it seemed to be better before. And so I just want to encourage us. We're going to respond anyways. I'll show you this over in Haggai. This is why I also know they were upset. Haggai is one of the prophets who was there. He's one of the prophets that's ministering during this rebuild. So here we go. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, or Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is nothing. It's, It's terrible. It's weak. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. Yeah, it's messed up in digital Babylon. But God's still working. He said, I know it was better before. I know your country changed. But get going. I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. What did we just read in the Great Commission? I will never leave you, forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. My spirit is still working in digital Babylon. I promised it. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. We're the temple, right? You can read that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. God is building his house upon the foundation as the apostles and the prophets. We are the temple of God, and his glory is dwelling among us. And it will dwell among us, and he will reign forever. He's saying, work. Don't be afraid. Yeah, it might be different than it used to be. But let's respond anyways, even in disappointment. Even when we're discouraging, well, this doesn't look how it used to be good. Yeah, but God is still reaching people. He's still making disciples. There's still people turning to him right now, even if it doesn't look like it, right? Even if it doesn't look like it. 
I don't know if I told about John, who works with the Lighthouse Missions Outreach, and he works in their van. So I came up this last week, I saw him again. I came up to John, they're out reaching out to people on the street, and he a year ago was on the street. And I said, hey, what, what got you off? How, how are you? He's an intern now. And he said, well, every week they just came to my area and brought me a sandwich, like every Wednesday or something. And one day I just decided to go with them. And now a year later... He's an intern, and I talked to him this week. He said, hey, I'm about to go on staff soon, so I can do this, right? So he's, and so last night, he's got a, a shirt and a tie on. I was like, John, you look great, right? There's still a lot of problems. There's still a lot of mess. This culture's not making a U-turn, but people are. So I want us to just not let the disappointment and the discouragement of the cultural moment we're in, the fact that what it used to be isn't what it is today, we can't do anything about that. But if God has a mission, he says, keep going. My spirit is with you. I am with you. Respond. God is still moving in exile. He's still moving in our country. He's still moving in our city. He's still moving in our church. So I don't want us to give up or give in or fall back in fear. We want to make resilient disciples one life at a time. So here's the six. I'll just put them there. And just think through, is one of them, two of them, six of them touching you? Is the Lord saying, I want you to respond to generosity? Is he saying, I want you to be obedient in the face of fear? I want you to remember what I've done and create patterns of remembrance. Respond doing the mission. Let's actually do the thing. Respond in thankful praise. Respond even in disappointment. He's working. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for this cultural moment we find ourselves in, that we would be resilient disciples. We would zero in on you. We would trust your spirit is among us. You would use us to get going. What things look like now might not be what they used to look like, but you have not stopped. You will be glorified. You will shake the heavens and the earth. You will have people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language in your kingdom. And we want to be a part of it. Lord, help us to get going. Help us to respond to you. Help us not to be pulled under by the crushing weight of digital Babylon. Not to be succumbed to it. Not to be colonized. But to be resilient in our faith. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and do that very thing we talked about. Respond in thankful praise.